What's the game-changing realization that helped you build a high-performing team? That question is at the center of every episode of the HR Impact Show. Every HR professional wants to build a team that has empowered managers, engaged employees, and an organization that's striving to become elite. The challenge is that you're often told to do more with less. We're gonna fix that. Every week, we will feature executive and senior HR leaders from across the country, and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Impact Show. This is your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. And today we're gonna find out why you can't build a people-focused culture if you're constantly busy with tactical execution. And joining us today for this conversation, we have the VP and CHRO of Hopkins Manufacturing, Barry Green. And she's gonna walk us through how to get out of that tactical HR hamster wheel. She started her career as an HR manager for a manufacturing company. And when she joined that organization, she was faced with a hostile union that was in place. They actually ended up keying her car and slashing her tires. So welcome to your first day. But even after all of that, she fell in love with manufacturing, has been working in that sector ever since. She's worked for some Fortune 500 and midsize organizations. So all of those experiences helped form her philosophy and vision for HR, and it informs how she builds high-performance organizations today. Barry Green, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jim. I'm so excited to be here. You're actually one of only a few manufacturing voices that we've had on the show, so I'm really looking forward to your perspective. And before we dive into the, the big part of the conversation, I'd like you to share with the audience any context that you feel is important that we didn't include in your bio that's going to inform the conversation that we're going to have today? Yeah, I think as you talked about my my first opportunity in, in HR was that site HR leader, and it's been over 20 years ago, but I never started as a generalist or a coordinator. I think I was thrown into that, to that lake with the piranhas and sharks, and I have been swimming ever since. I have been very fortunate to have the exposure of different organizations and different companies and learning some great best practices and also learning from leaders that you would not want to be or practices that you felt may not be advantageous to the company or employees. And so I think that's important. But even more before that, when I was uh, much younger, I actually worked uh, in manufacturing on a third shift in a food manufacturing company. So I've been out on that shop floor and I've been on a line and have experience from that side as well. Yeah, for some crazy reason, fell in love with manufacturing. Uh, I love that operations aspect of it and seeing product getting made and engaging with people. And I'm just excited to share my insight, philosophy and, and knowledge with others. It's interesting to hear about your experience working on the line. One thing that I'm curious about is how did your experience working in the trenches or in the front lines in a manufacturing environment inform sort of your overall HR philosophy as you went further and further in your career? Yeah, I think that it helped me to be comfortable in that environment. My father also was a maintenance supervisor at Levi Strauss in manufacturing, so having that perspective as well. But I also, when the company allowed, worked the line in some of the companies I've worked for. At the window manufacturing, which was actually that unionized first position, was window manufacturing. And I actually got the opportunity to go out there and glaze windows 
as employees were complaining to me about the wrist motion and the strain, and I'm like, let me experience it. And so I felt comfortable going out there. I spent some time in a, another food manufacturing and got the opportunity to go out there and lug 50 pound bags of flour and salt into a blender. So that helped me to feel more comfortable on the line and connecting with people who are the backbone of the organization, right? Making that product. So I think those experiences and having worked it when I was uh, younger, especially in a third shift, it gives you that perspective of understanding when people talk to you about standing all day long or the heat or the environment and uh, you've experienced it. It really gives you that insight and that different perspective when uh, working with your people on the floor. I, I would imagine one of the other things that you took away from that is that today there's this concept or at least this bias among certain crowds where some things are considered better work than others. And having worked at the line, working a third shift, I was a swing shift person. It gives you a different perspective on the value of all work versus approaching the world as if, well, your type of work is actually more important than this other person's type of work. My father was a maintenance supervisor and he worked for Levi Strauss. And I think one of the things that he said to me one time was that everybody's role is important. So at every aspect of the manufacturing process, if you don't have people selling it, marketing it, making it, shipping it, every role within that organization and within that line has an importance to it. And we should always remember that without all the pieces of the puzzle, you can't see the full picture and having that respect for every aspect that they do. And like I said, I've been out there and get on the floor and there's some of the work I've seen out there. I'm like, no way can I do, you know, you are much more skilled than I am or have a lot more knowledge and uh, I'm just going to walk back to my office. And there's some complexity in manufacturing and operation operations and, and with PLCs and CNC and lays. And there's, you know, a lot of skilled trade and knowledge and, and technique that people hone over a period of time. And it's respectable work and we should respect the people who are doing it. You've been at Hopkins for almost two years at this point. When you think back to your time there or to think back about your time there, what's your proudest accomplishment to date? I would say it's a change in our HRS system. And some people might say, oh, that's slow hanging fruit. But we had one system that wasn't fully utilized and it had some features, but it was more of a payroll system that happened to have HR data in it. And so we made this strategic conversion to a new system that is an HRIS system that also pays employees. And we've gotten our employees registered, looking at their tabs on there. We took that opportunity as well to then change our payroll cycle. So all of our employees used to be on a biweekly cycle and a lot of our hourly employees are living week to week. And so it's hard when it's every other week that you're getting paid. So we changed that. And so now our hourly workforce are being paid on a weekly cycle so they can help manage their bills and get that income coming on a weekly basis. And that really helped with us on recruiting and, and retention. And then we changed onboarding. So onboarding used to be that big stack of papers and you're sitting there with HR for three hours as we review all the policies with you and get you to sign this and sign that. We're on electronic onboarding now. And so before somebody starts, they have the opportunity to re -re review those policies, sign off and acknowledge all that tactical items. Then when they actually come in to do on the onboarding, we can get into some of the other aspects of it and really dig into the benefits and their on-the-job training. And so we can look at 
other aspects of onboarding that are more value added instead of signing acknowledgements and filling out paperwork, getting that online. And we also have been using this new system to do the LMS or learning management. And so we've been launching other annual acknowledgement policies. We launched our 2023 COVID guidelines, what to do and what not to do. And if you test positive, and that all went through our new HRIS system and people acknowledged it on their phone and they have access to that document. That has been huge for us is getting our employees and that philosophy pulled into that 21st century. And let's stop pushing paper and let's we can do other things with that time that are more strategic and more value added instead of that tactical work. Those are three big initiatives, implementing a new HRIS revamping or implementing a new onboarding process and then managing the change management process of both of those things. Those are massive initiatives, no matter how big an organization that you're talking yeah. about. So when you look at those initiatives, if you had to pull out the big lesson in doing those uh, initiatives well, what was the thing that stood out that if you had a chance to do it over again, this is what I would have done differently in these, in these three parallel initiatives? It would have been probably the registering and onboarding our employees into the system uh, sooner. We did it about two to three weeks ahead of launch, and our population is about 450 to 500. And I think sometimes, we're, oh, we, we got that. We'll take care of it. And But finding out how many people didn't have email accounts. And so we, we had to help people get email accounts set up and established. And and so that delayed them getting access to it and then helping them learn how to view their paycheck stubs and those things. So that probably didn't go as smooth as we would have liked it to. So I think we could have been a little bit more time on that front end on training and uh, getting people registered. I don't think we were as prepared for as many people either having an old email, a personal email account or not one at all. And then having to start from scratch on helping them get one set up and established. That's a good call out for those who are listening, especially those in manufacturing environments. That's an important takeaway to consider if you're going through a similar implementation. You've gotten three big things done in less than two years. When you look at 2024 and beyond, what's the next set of moonshots that you want to take on? Yeah, for us, I would say it is a career development and road mapping. We did focus groups and uh, in a uh, cultural survey. And so that's some of the feedback that we receive. So how, as somebody joins the organization, do we provide that roadmap for them? So if I start a production operator, where can I go from here? Do I go to material handler? Do I go to machine operator? And so getting that path and that vision for people as they start an organization is, is where do we go for our hourly employees as well as our salary? If I start as a customer service, what's next for me? So having those clear career maps and those roadmaps defined, and then that partners with bench strength and succession planning. So where are the pieces on the chessboard, right? So if this supervisor retires or leaves the organization, who do I have in the batter's box getting warmed up and ready to go? And if they're not ready today, how do I help them get ready? If they're interested in moving up, what is that development plan? How do I help them get ready for that next role? And then for our hourly as well, a lot of, you know, those leads come internally. So how do I help that next production operator or manufacturing operator who wants to become a lead? How do we help them get ready for that role? Those are going to be big pieces for us going into 2024. And our new HR system is we're going to hopefully utilize some of those tools that we have from there to help get that established and, and start to head down that path. How have you mapped 
career development as a priority, especially when you have a heavy hourly population? Because I would imagine there's a higher level of churn within that population than your salaried employees. And oftentimes in that population, they're not really thinking about the next role or the role after the next role. So what did you do to make that a priority across the organization? That was one of the surprises for us because I I would say the typical answer would be, I agree with you, that a lot of times uh, your hourly population is not thinking about where do I go and where do I move on? But surprisingly, feedback from our cultural survey, which was anonymous, but we could uh, separate between salaried and hourly. And we had focus group sessions and it was surprising how much that has come up. And maybe it's the different generations entering the workforce and, and they have different goals. And But it is coming up more frequent as people getting into manufacturing. He says, OK, I'll start as a production operator, but where do I go from there? How do I continue to advance and move up? And we partner with uh, local universities. And so we'll, we have college students that come in and do uh, work for us as well. I think we're starting to see that trend is career progression is not just a, a salaried thing anymore. Our hourly people are interested in wanting to do more and move up within an organization. And so how do we have that path? Maybe it's only 15 or 20 percent of my population, but if I can develop the next lead or the next quality control or the next specialist out of that group and move people internally within the organization, that's an opportunity I want to latch on to. Wow. It's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community. Get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR impact. And now back to the show. That's an interesting development because when I think back to my summers and winters in college, I worked in those sort of organizations. I can't think of a single conversation where somebody was asking me, if you could move through here, what would you do? It's interesting. People are advancing that conversation from both sides. When you think about all the HR and leadership myths and cliches out there, what's the one that you'd love to bust and why? For me, I think it's that all HR knows is HR and it's not. We're business partners. Both my degrees are business degrees and my MBA, I majored in HR, but my philosophy is I am a business partner whose specialty happens to be HR. But I understand macroeconomics and I understand the P&L and I understand cost of labor and I understand those other aspects when it comes into uh, a business and what feeds into EBITDA and what is the difference between gross sales and net sales. We're not pegged into it's just HR and always about HR items. We know how HR supports the growth of an organization through its people and how strategically we help partner with other leaders to make that happen. I think that provides a pretty good segue into what I mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, which was you can't build a people-focused culture if you're just focused on tactical execution. So what you're talking about uh, when it comes to HR's enterprise-wide business perspective, that's different than the legacy view of HR is where HR just gets a bunch of admin stuff done. When you think about your career and your career progression, You had a game-changing realization that was related to what I mentioned in the early part of the conversation. Tie all of that together and tell us how it's actually served you well in, in your HR career. 
both my degrees are business degrees, but I was very fortunate to work for a couple of organizations that embraced that HR was beyond HR. And so I, I got my lean practitioner certification from one facility and I started to work on my green belt and utilizing lean and Kaizen philosophy in transactional in HR. And I still use that philosophy today. I didn't go to our CEO and CFO and say, give me X dollars to change an HRIS system. I built a whole justification and a return on investment and built a if then statement of if we get to weekly pay, it will help retention with and impact turnover. If we can impact turnover and reduce it, it'll impact a reduction of overtime. And so looking at how does that path happen? And it's not just about if we get to weekly pay, people will be happy. It's that business and what drives that business. And then that gives me the perspective of mapping out processes. And we look at what's value added, what's not value added. How do we streamline things? And the example with onboarding, as we change that and we do more online onboarding, then my expectation is for my team to spend more time out on the floor and engage with people and their leaders. And what do we, you know, how do we support the business? How do we support operations? And and so there's that give and take. If I can get you out of tactical work and doing non-value added work, how can I change that to being more strategic with recruiting and retention and connection and culture with, with the people out there? The experience I've had, and I've been very lucky in my career to, to have exposures, like I said, with some places with best practices and the things that I've implemented even here at Hopkins that I've walked away from companies and said, wow, that's a great way to do something. And I've learned from peers. I, I think I've told people I'm not above beg, borrow, steal somebody else's great idea if I can make it work where I'm at. And and I think that's been a driving factor with this change we've been we've been going through this journey with with Hopkins. It's good that you've actually made progress to more of that business partner role within HR. For a lot of organizations or a lot of HR leaders that might be stuck in that tactical side. How did you set the stage to make that transition? When I first started with Hawkins, I spent the first time is, amount of time is seeking to understand, right? What's the current state? What are we doing today? And then I met with all of the leaders. What is HR doing for you that you appreciate? What is HR not doing for you? And what do we need to stop doing? Trying to find out from them and their perspective is how, how do we help them and where we are or not helping them. We have a weekly executive meeting and any crazy ideas that Barry is coming up with, I let them know, hey, we're headed down this path or we're going to do, and here's the why behind it. Here's the justification, right? We're doing these focus groups or we have this initiative that HR is getting ready to launch. And so being very transparent and inclusive is important. And sometimes before I send out an announcement, I'll send it to them first and say, hey, I'm getting ready to send this out. But want you guys to be aware ahead of time. Let me know any feedback or insight. So that transparency, I think, is important to that relationship, not just with my peers on the executive team, but with, with my leaders, with all the leaders in the organization. And that's been important to do it, but seek to understand, get to what's the current state? What do things look like today in your world? Where do you want to be? What's that story you want to tell about who HR is for the organization? And, and then it's a journey. Culture takes years to evolve. You're not going to change culture in 30 days or 60 days. It's going to take time. You got to look at where do you want to be in the next two to three years? And what's that journey of how to get there, knowing you can't fix everything right away? How do you start down that journey of the path of getting to where you want to be? 
there's a really interesting bit about, about what you just said that caught my attention. And that was your point about you can't fix all the things right away. And I would imagine when you're trying to make this cultural pivot from HR as just task-oriented versus a strategic partner, you would probably have some disagreement within the executive team and maybe the manager team, line manager team, about what should be prioritized first. So if you face that sort of challenge, how did you determine what your biggest priorities are and build consensus to move that forward? Yeah, so not everything gets through. There's been a couple of changes I've proposed and we were just not ready for that change or it was too much of a change. And so then I have to balance how much of an impact it is and is it a fight I'm willing to spend energy on, right? Or is it one that I can walk away with? So you always like to say we have a thousand things to work on, but let's pick the top five to 10 and execute to, to excellence. And after I started here, there was even a, this kind of running joke where people were like, hey, Barry, we need this policy rewritten. I'm like, okay, it's 452 on my list. I know I'm aware of it, might not be in the top 10, but I'm aware of it and, and it gets on my list and we look at it. But I think then you have to bob and weave and some, some things are going to go through and people are going to be open and receptive. Some are not. And then you're like, is it, is it the fight I'm willing to fight or just, I don't want to spend that much energy on it because it's not that much of a win. It's more of a nice to instead of a need to, then I'd rather put energy into something else or, or come up with something else. And so you've got to constantly reshuffle your priorities and how do they fit into those goals? So as we talk about, you know, recruiting and retention, there's some things that we're like, okay, we want to go down this path. And there's some that would be a nice to have and, and not enough worth some aggravation or extra energy to try to push being versatile to be able to adjust and pivot with some of those strategies and issues, I think has been important because not everything we've proposed has been met with open arms and welcome, but you focus on the things you can achieve and you focus on the things that you can do that will head you down that path of change. I, I really like a lot about what you put in there. There's one aspect of what you mentioned that I, I want to expand a little bit. You're not going to get everything that's on your wish list, but there was another part of what you said where you mentioned something along the lines of, of not everyone's going to want to do what you want to do or even agree that this is the direction that we should go. We're thinking about turning HR from a task-oriented group to a strategic business partner, and there are people that are resistant to making that pivot. What did you do to get those people on board? I would love to tell you that everybody is always on board and 100% aligned. I, I'm Part of that transparency is I let my team know these are my philosophies in regarding to HR, not better or worse than the person who was in my role before. I'm not right or wrong. It's just my philosophy built on my years of experience. And not everybody is always on board with that. And so we work hard to provide coaching and guidance and structure and give time for people to develop that skill set. But there's some HR people there who'd like the tactical work and just enjoy that aspect of it. And it may not be the direction they want to go. So I would love to say I kept 100% of my team members, but that's not always the case. And I've had a couple of members choose to go a different path. And I, I respect that, but that doesn't change the path we need to go to in order to support strategic growth of the organization. And so we do everything we can to provide that guidance, that structure, the skill set. I have weekly meetings with my team and, and take their insight, get their feedback. 
which I think is important that they're part of that journey, that they get the buy-in. But not everybody wants to go down that path. So some people decide to make a different choice and we respect that choice. So how did you front load those conversations so that there's no surprises? There's always going to be surprises, but how did you mitigate the chances for surprises by structuring the conversations the right way on the front end? When I started, I met with each HR person and just, what do you do? What would you like to do? Where do you see yourself? And so it really started to try to understand everybody's role and what they did. I think within 30 days, I had my first meeting with the HR team and my first slide was, if anybody could give me the definition of insanity. And a couple people laughed and I'm like, because what we're doing isn't working, right? We're tied into some of these legacy and archaic practices because that's how we've been doing it for 15 or 20 years. And so we're going to challenge that. We're going to evaluate it. If it's still the best way to do that, then we'll move forward. But let's, we're going to, we're going to try new things. And I told them that I was going to bring them into the 20th century. And that's right, Jim, I said 20th century. So we're going to get to the 20th century first before we then make the journey to the 21st century. And so I put up then here's philosophy, here's these buckets of things. We talked about total rewards and culture and recruiting and retention. And I said, this, there's going to be some change. And I said, but I'm going to be there during this journey. I'm not just going to throw up all these things and then expect you to, to do it on your own. We're going to be on this together. And there's been some of the objectives, as I said, the the corporate HR objectives that they got to view and said, I'm open. If, if you think two of them don't belong on the list or you think they need to be replaced, then let me know why. Let's we, We're all going to sign up and do this together. So we all need to be aligned with the journey we're going to take together. And so just so be very transparent, inclusive is part of my style. And and then, you know, let's go down this path together. And I think that's been important in my team, you know, getting where we are today. We covered a lot of ground. And I think this brings us to, okay, where do we start? How do we get going on this? So I'm sure there's a lot of listeners and some who are in manufacturing or HR practitioners that want to get out of this tactical hamster wheel that they're stuck in as HR professionals. So how do they get started doing that? So I think that utilizing a, a couple of tools, we talk about the SWOT analysis, strength, weakness, opportunities, and threats. So I think getting with your team and understanding where your department is, uh, strengths are, what are they good at doing and what are they executing? What are those weaknesses? What are things that you're doing, but not as well? that you could be doing, your team could be doing, and what are those opportunities and threats? So I think doing a SWOT analysis and uh, utilizing those lean tools. Look at your current state. What do you have going on today? And where do you want to be? Where do you want that HR department to be? What's that vision of the HR you want to be in the next couple of years? And as you continue down that lean process, then look at value-added versus non-value-added. What are we doing that is just tactical work that's spinning the wheel? And are there ways for us to streamline those processes and, and get rid of non-value-added tactical work that isn't making an impact to the organization? And then determine the skill set on your team. I like to have people on my team that's smarter than me in other areas. And so really discover that skill set on your team. You might have somebody whose strength is recruiting, somebody whose strength is benefits, somebody whose strength is employee experience or so on or KPIs, and they love doing the data and running the numbers. And so find out that skill set of your team and where those strengths are in your team members and balance that out and start to utilize that. I've, teams I've had working with me enjoy that. They get to be assigned to a project or to an assignment that helps impact 
their peers. So having that collaborative team is important. Great stuff, Barry. If uh, folks want to continue this conversation, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? My LinkedIn account. So at Barry, B-A-R-I-E and Green. So I'm out there on LinkedIn and it's the best way to get in touch with me. Barry, appreciate you hanging out with us. I learned a lot during our conversations and I'm sure that our listeners will have learned a ton as well. When I reflect on the conversation that we've had, there's a few things that stand out that I thought I would call out as particularly important in terms of perspective and mindset. I think the first thing that stood out to me happened later in the conversation, and and that was your point of you've got to learn to let go a little bit. Not everybody's going to want to go the direction that the organization's going. And you got to be at peace with that. The only thing that you can do is message the why the where and the how as best you can, and then get started on the work. The other thing that stood out in this conversation, and it goes back to your early career, was that your time on the line seemed to have shaped your development mindset. So if you're an HR practitioner who is looking to move out of a tactical environment and move to a business partner environment, you've got to be able to apply that development mindset to yourself and your team. And then the last thing is that before you make any sort of initiative, and this is obvious, you got to lay the groundwork. You need to be able to talk to all levels of the organization and find out what works, what doesn't, where do they see the role of HR and why do they see it that way? What would be the impact of doing it at a different way? If you don't lay that groundwork first, any initiative that you're going to try to execute isn't going to work because you're going to have a lot of people that are thinking in 12 different directions versus the one that you want them to be looking at. So those are key points that I felt stood out to me in our conversations. So thanks for bringing that to the table. For those of you who have listened, really appreciate you hanging out with us. Leave us a review. Let us know what you thought of the conversation. Tune in next time where we'll have another great HR leader joining us to talk through their game-changing realizations that help them build a high-performing team. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.